I'm Gregory Berg. On today's morning show, we explored some of the challenges involved in trying to do choral music safely during the COVID-19 pandemic. I spoke with our two local collegiate choral directors, Dr. James Kinchin from the University of Wisconsin Parkside and Dr. Eduardo Garcia Novelli from Carthage College. Because of time constraints, it was impossible to share those interviews in unabridged fashion. But in the podcast version, it's possible to hear those interviews in their entirety. Here is Dr. James Kinchin. At the beginning of our interview, I asked him to look back to the spring and to describe what it was like when the door slammed shut on basically all of the performing arts, including the choral music activities at UW Parkside and indeed at schools all around the world. Well, of course, everybody knew about this, this, this virus. And, uh, and, and of course, it was, it was tenacious and it was strange and, uh, and it was just uh, very contagious and it was having dire consequences for a lot of people who were contracting it. And uh, so we made the decision uh, that we had to stop doing our physical uh, activities on campus. Uh, the timing of that was fortuitous in that it was right around spring break as it was for many campuses. So that gave us a little bit of flexibility uh, to kind of see what was going to happen. And of course, uh, what happened for us was the decision absolutely correct correct decision uh, to just stop everything face to face. And that included what we were doing with, with choral activities. Uh, we were at that point planning to do uh, a semester, no big work uh, for the choirs in the spring semester, but just planning to do what we normally do. Uh, and that is to experience choral music, to learn uh, in the choral experience, uh, to prepare for performances, all of that came to a screeching halt. So did you end up doing much of anything uh, in terms of those last uh, few weeks of the semester? Or, or was it essentially a suspension of everything uh, choral music-wise? Uh, and what did that feel like? Well, we actually did do something. And what, I, what we did, I think, under the circumstances, given... Uh, especially given the suddenness with which uh, the, these uh, these circumstances were thrust on us, uh, I think was was a good thing. Uh, we all connected virtually. Uh, we took from our folders of pieces that were under preparation uh, a selection of the week, and that selection uh, was posted. Uh, the, the links to the parts and the links to the full uh, piece, either uh, all of the parts together, as as would be the case with the uh, uh, with with an unaccompanied piece or accompaniment, and every student was given some guidelines for uh, going online and connecting with their part and connecting with the piece. And they were put in the position, which I think was probably both daunting and, uh, and empowering, of uh, assessing their own efforts, talking about what they were doing in terms of the purely musical aspects, uh, 
rhythms and pitches and texts and all of those things, but also talking about the emotional aspect uh, engendered by the music itself and engendered by their having to now do this music uh, in the isolation of their own private spaces without uh, suddenly without the glorious company of all of the people who normally gather uh, at the at the choir rehearsal to to sing with them and it was it was very revealing and I maintained some dialogue with people as we went through that exercise um, and so I think it was absolutely the right thing to do as best we could we still managed to effect some kind of community as best we could we still managed to uh, to make some music hmm. so I, I suspect that you during the summer uh, uh, were busy as a whole lot of your counterparts were all across the country and maybe around the world for that matter in terms of trying to sort out the ways in which perhaps actual choral singing might be possible in the fall semester. Just tell us about uh, some of the exploration that you did and some of the very care careful consideration you made of of such possibilities. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I, um, I take my, my hat off to uh, the wonderful colleagues here in the state uh, who uh, uh, led uh, by um, WCDA Wisconsin Choral Directors Association President Zach Durlam uh, began having conversations about what we might do and trying to also wrap our minds around the science uh, and to and to kind of have a space, uh, a collegial space, if you would in which we could put out there, this is what I think I want to do, and not necessarily be committed to doing that, but put it there so that there was some measure of critique um, and, and, and we could continue to understand the science better and figure out, uh, aha, this would probably work. Nah, this would not, not work. What was particularly helpful for us uh, in the summer was the uh, preliminary findings to a study that, by the way, is, is still ongoing that came out. And we kind of refer to it colloquially as the Colorado study. Uh, but it was led by colleagues, um, uh, one of our excellent national high school uh, leaders uh, and colleagues from, uh, from places as varied as Colorado, which is how it got its name. Clemson and University of Maryland. And the whole point of that was to try to be as abreast as possible of the science, understand the science, and see if we could, in a systematic, scientific way, uh, figure out how the science would affect those of us who, who made music. Uh, when the first reports came out, uh, what was particularly eye-opening, and I take you back, all of us back, to the time when this uh, this this virus first appeared uh, uh, on the here here in the U.S. And and by the way, just as an aside, 
totally ironic note. Uh, it originated uh, in Wuhan, China. Uh, I was in Wuhan, China in the summer of 2019, uh, engaged in a choral exchange with some of my students. It's a wonderful experience and how ironic that the virus that would eventually change our lives would, would have that as its, as its point of origin, as far as we know. Wow. Um, but anyway, as you recall, at the beginning of, of things, it was assumed that a lot of spread happened through the droplets that we emitted uh, when we coughed, when we sneezed, when we talked loudly, and that sort of thing, and how you know we put our hands to our faces and they would become contaminated and how these uh, droplets with the virus in them would end up on surfaces. And so initially there was a big emphasis on, and, and, and all of these things were still, still, still germane, but a big emphasis on washing hands, a big emphasis on sanitizing surfaces. Uh, we began wearing masks, and I'm so glad that we, that we started that, not fully understanding uh, how efficacious that would be. In fact, some of the early science said, well, the mask doesn't give you much protection, but it protects others. We found out since that the mask affords protection for the wearer as well. So when the study came out, to get back to the study, it began to focus our attention on something that many of us did not fully understand in the early stages of, uh, of, of the virus. And that was the gaseous emissions that we made that sort of went up, up and away uh, to, to uh, coin the, the lyrics of the old song um, that nobody could see, okay, what became commonly called the aerosol. And this study began to focus on the aerosols to understand what emissions are produced uh, when you play various wind instruments, for example. What emissions tend to be produced when you sing? Are there differences depending on voice parts? Are there differences depending on the style of singing that you do? Uh, are, are there even differences uh, that might uh, relate to what vowel you're singing or what consonant you're singing. And this was extremely helpful at that point because then we understood that unlike the common cold, unlike a lot of the variants of flu that we uh, encounter from season to season, that a lot of the transmission happens in the air. That then explains why these wonderful choral singers in Oregon who had no idea about aerosols so many of them got infected and some of them died in, in the process of having a choir rehearsal. So then uh, we began to understand what mitigants we might employ that might diminish the risk to the point that it was reasonable for us perhaps to do in-person singing. Uh, I often uh, quote uh, somebody and I introduce them as one of our present day philosophers and and people, of course, they kind of perk up because they want to know, uh, you know, who that might be. He's National Basketball Association Commissioner Adam Silver. <laughs> and it was a quote that he generated at the time when NBA was trying to figure out what it was going to do. It ended up creating the bubble, which most of us know about. But his succinct summation absolutely 
continues to be relevant to what we do regarding COVID. He said, no option is risk-free. We go to the store, there's a risk. We've got to go and pick up a prescription from the drugstore, there's a risk involved. So, so the question is to balance risk and reward to the point that we are not so much hung up on, uh, we're going to sing, do or die, that we put people at risk uh, beyond uh, what is, you know, is, is, is reasonably controllable. So, so what emerged from the study, and by the way, the, the more updated version of the study came out a few weeks ago, and it confirmed all of these uh, uh, earlier uh, findings, uh, that we have to maintain distance. That's, that's totally valid. Okay, it, it hap it, it's, it's true for people, you know, who are going into the grocery store. It certainly is true for people who are making music together in the same space. We have to wear masks, okay? Uh, because, and, and this was this was telling uh, for, for me when I saw it. It was like, wow. They had some video footage of singers emitting. Now, these singers didn't have COVID as far as we know but they were just showing that when a person emits, here's what happens. The singer emitting without the mask, there was this torrent, a, literally a torrent of, of gases, which was visible with the enhanced photographer that you and I could not see with naked eye, that just kind of tumbled out and just kept going. You thought, oh my gosh, oh gosh, that's awful. Then the same singer doing the same singing with the mask on. There were small emissions if possible. Look, it's a mask, obviously at some uh, level is porous, right? And, but there was also this diversion, if you will, of emissions, uh, deflection of emissions. So it's sort of the, what did come out, most of what came out went up, okay? And, and that was visibly less. And of course, they measured these things in scientific terms, uh, and and they confirmed that, there, that the masks really help. Uh, there was also this thing of how long can we sing in a room before the emissions, even controlled by the masks and so forth, become so overwhelming, they accumulate, and then they begin to just sort of fill up the, the, the air in the room. And so that was determined scientifically. Um, and so we began to come up with this idea of what was reasonably safe in terms of singing in a space. We had to be distanced, we had to be masked. Uh, it was hugely important to have a space where there was a high ceiling. The exchange of air in the room uh, had to be sufficient. So we started bothering our facilities people to find out what the turnover of air was in, in various spaces. But that had to be sufficient so that air was moving, the old air was moving out and fresh air was moving in. Um, and so all of those things together sort of pointed to a practice that given the fact that no options are risk-free might allow us to sing physically in the same space with the smallest amount of risk possible. I'm guessing that uh, a real blessing for uh, you and your colleagues at Parkside is the fact that so much of what you do 
is within the four walls of the beautiful Rita, uh, that, uh, that still relatively new addition to the Parkside campus, where uh, so much of the, the theater and music department activities uh, are housed. And I'm guessing that uh, in, in at least most of the major spaces that you utilize, we're probably talking about a very good air exchange rate. And so you probably had uh, a lot of viable options in terms of spaces where your choirs could uh, safely rehearse. Am I right about that? Yes, 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 yes. I so I mean, and I and I have to confess this to you uh, that uh, it was completed in twenty and opened in twenty eleven, but it will always be new and it will always be wonderful in terms of everything that it's afforded us that that reader space, and that mattered a great deal for us. Uh, I should also though tell you that earlier in the semester, this fall semester, uh, we intentionally planned to have some rehearsals out of doors. And we did that several times. What that did is it allowed us to be in the safest space. The research shows that the very safest space is out of doors. And of course, and of course, distanced, okay, still, uh, not out of doors, clumped together into big, uh, into big groups around, uh, uh, you know, around tables or whatever, but but distance. And so we did uh, do some rehearsing out of doors. That also gave us the benefit of having everybody together. When we were indoors, distanced properly, we could not have the whole choir in the room at the same time. Okay. Um, and uh, even even with the wonderful spaces of uh, that, that Bedford Hall uh, and, and the other reader rooms afford us. Um, so, so yeah, but, but I mean, gosh, uh, that facility was for us a godsend. I don't know how we would have done any of what we did uh, without having had that facility at our disposal. We were so what, fortunate. What kind of challenge has it been in terms of <laughs> having to share when uh, they're even in a facility as beautiful as Lorita, um, there's a finite number of sizable spaces where a, a decent sized group can really make music together. Uh, or, or has there been sufficient space that there has been uh, plenty of access for, uh, for every major ensemble that, that would uh, need and want such spaces for rehearsal? I think there has been reasonable access simply because even under ideal circumstances, uh, even under the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the normal situation, in the normal situation, we don't all do that at the same time. So because we have a schedule that has us doing some rotation, uh, that helped a great deal. Uh, and also remember that th th there is no more 50 what is it on that campus? 53 minute rehearsal, okay? All that's been shrunk now to 30 minutes from the time my folks start singing, for example, until the time that we end the rehearsal, sometimes abruptly, is 30 minutes because the science supports that. And after you've been emitting in a space for over 30 minutes, then you have this inevitable buildup of, of of aerosols. So, so the fact that not only do you have staggered scheduling, uh, but you also have shortened periods of time that you're in there. And, uh, and there is some 
some time then in the space for the space to, and I'll, I put this in air quotes, recover. Uh, you know, in other words, you've had sufficient air exchange. Um, so, so that's not so, you know, so huge, so huge a problem. Yeah. Tell us what uh, it was like for your students to be singing under such dramatically different circumstances. Or by and large, do you think it felt for them like business as usual to a remarkable extent? I mean, how different did this feel for your students to be singing together this fall? Yeah. So, so that's a that's a that's a great question, and and I think it's sort of you know you, you hate to hate to trot Dickens out all the time. You know, the best of times, the worst of times. I think looking at it from the deficit perspective, it took uh, quite a bit of, of singing for people to get used to the masks. Now, we ordered for them this mask called the singer's mask, which is a really well-constructed mask um, that performs the functions of a mask uh, in the pandemic, but it does so while allowing some space in front, inside the mask, inside the mask, in front of the mouth and nose to make singing um, an easier thing than it would otherwise be. It's no, it's no safer than any other mask, okay? But it simply is more singer friendly. Uh, but they still had to get used to doing that. Um, I had to get used to hearing them sing through the mask, okay? Mm. A good deal of what we do as choral directors, as choral artists and educators, is we analyze and we react to what we hear, okay? Um, and so that was greatly altered uh, as, as people, people sang. Um, people had to, because students had to come into the room uh, under normal circumstances. You could come in in clumps and who would care? You know, we're all buds together. But there had to be distancing there. Uh, there were spots assigned to people inside the space. Um, sort of stand on the X kind of uh, thing, and uh, people had to had to be very disciplined in in that way. Um, we were further affected by the fact that um, you didn't, except for outdoors. You know, you you never had everybody there, so there always was the the critical mass. Uh, that you weren't quite able uh, to sort of muster on the in the indoor setting, and even splitting uh, people up into uh, into who so who will be in the space today, who will be in Bedford today, who will be in the choir room today, you know, even that could not be done in in a totally balanced way because the sections to start out with were imbalanced. And then uh, there were students who were there in the spring um, who were some of the stronger vocalists who for one reason or another were not there in, in the fall. So that, that created sort of a vacuum. And then of course you had the inevitable movement of students out and back in depending on uh, whether they had been close contacts with somebody uh, who had uh, who had been diagnosed, who had tested positive, uh, whether they 
shared a living space with with somebody who had I had uh, more than a couple of students uh, to say to me uh, via email. Uh, my mom got tested and she was positive or my brother or whatever. So you have all of those kinds of things so that at any given moment, a section may be reasonably strong or it may be decimated uh, by, uh, by people who are there. So the students had to deal you know, with all of those variables. And if I thought about it more, I could probably mention more on the negative side. But on the positive side, um, they got to sing together. And it, it convinced me, uh, not that I needed to be convinced after all these years uh, as a choral artist and choral educator, but it convinced me of the validity of this thing that we do call choral music, <laughs> that it is special in ways that we are, we often don't even understand, even as we are sort of moving deliberately, but with reasonable pace uh, toward the finished product and all of those things, that it has meaning for people sometimes outside of, of rhythms and pitches and texts and chords and all of those kinds of, of things. Mm -hmm. And the students, I'm thoroughly convinced, in spite of all of those obstacles, all of those inconveniences, the students thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated and and benefited from the opportunity to be in the same space hmm. and to make music together. And one and one of the one of the ways that I that I know that is how responsible people were in communicating with me what was going on with them health wise. Um, many many students I helped direct into the the university's official reporting system because they got in touch with me first. And uh, they told me about this or that or the other uh, exposure, possible exposure or whatever that I would not otherwise have known about. But I think they valued the opportunity to sing together. And they didn't want to spoil that by possibly passing along something to their peers or, or to, the, uh, to the young man who directs them. Okay, and uh, and that was and that was really, in my opinion, that was really, uh, really, really special. And because our institutions, as I'm sure you know, yours as in, and most do, uh, does con uh, contact tracing on students who do test positive, we have some idea of where um, you know whether contagion is happening within the university setting or, or, or from outside. And there's not a single, not a single case that I'm aware of that universities inform us of where you had spread within the ensemble rehearsal. Hmm. Uh, that's, so that's, you know, so that's, that's the, that's the plus side. Uh, and I'm so happy, uh, not just for me, but for the students that we got a chance to do what we could do. Uh, making music together as safely as we could do it uh, indoors. Did you make any different choices than you otherwise would have made in terms of the repertoire that you tackled this semester? I guess. Oh gosh, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, yes. Uh, simple, simple. Uh, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, uh, you know, no, uh, no, no high mountains, no uh, 
Everests or anything like that. I mean, you know, that, you know, maybe a little foothold, uh, foothill here or there. But you know, the the point for us this semester was what could we do that people could make uh, satisfying sounds on fairly early. Um, that would work if half the alto section happened to show up missing one day, uh, or would still work if we had, you know, the two strong bases and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and of course, we were not aimed at a public performance, uh, just wanting to have students to experience, you know, quality music, but to experience it um, in a way that would allow them to, to do it, even in spite of the, of the circumstances. Oh, absolutely. What, at this point, are your plans for uh, second semester of this school year? Do you anticipate it playing out much like the fall semester in terms of the way your groups will meet and rehearse and perform? So um, <clears throat> that's a good question. And if I had to give my best, most educated guess in uh, the first part of December, about what's going to happen in February and March, I would say that probably, probably so. Um, I think there will be some kind of vetting that will go on, and I don't know that the university has said what exactly that will be, but there'll be some kind of vetting, I'm sure, for students coming back in uh, to know something about their their status. And And I think that given the fact that this protocol or these protocols worked for us in the fall, that we'll probably be engaging them again. Now, what could stand in the way of that is if we continue to have uh, surging uh, to the point that we think is out, is out of control. For example, we are virtual now after th we didn't go back after Thanksgiving and, and we are almost unanimously happy that we made that made that call because it just uh, there's only so much insulation that you might expect for the students who are attending your university uh, in, in terms of being uh, protected from something that's that's running rampant through the community so what's happening in the community is probably going to be um, one uh, determinant of whether we can do what we did in the fall or whether we have to be totally virtual. Uh, so, but, but that's something we don't, we don't know yet. I would, if I had to wager, <clears throat> I would wager that we are still another full semester away from returning to public performances, public choral concerts, is, is what I would guess. Hmm. It sounds like uh, this experience has been an interesting mix of positive and negative, uh, mm -hmm. and that for all the losses that it represents and the frustrations, it sounds like uh, both for you and, and for your students, it's also been a really rich experience of, of learning and of figuring out how to carry on in the midst of a really challenging experience. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that is something that you have come to really deeply appreciate. Yeah, um, and I think you said it really well. 
Um, and, um, and I, and I think I knew that, but as you spoke and, uh, and phrased the question, I thought back, um, and the question that came to me is whether there has been ever been a time, no matter how difficult it's been, uh, in at least recent human history, recent being the past century or so, where we faced challenges, challenges that we didn't like, challenges that tested our mettle, so to speak, that did not have us emerge from them better, stronger, uh, wiser, uh, more fully formed in, in our character. And I think that's that's happened this this time. And and I think in the final analysis, as uh, as difficult as this has been, and and God, all of the people who have become terribly, terribly ill, all of the people who passed away, um, a whole mid-sized city's worth of people have died at this point in this country uh, due due to COVID, but still those of us who've had to work our way through it are better off uh, as individuals and we're better off as, as a community because we've had to do this thing, had to climb this, this mountain, had to surmount this, this challenge. So it's absolutely correct. Hmm. Dr. James Kinchin is Director of Choral Activities at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And um, if one, uh, goes looking, uh, you can, uh, I'm sure, find uh, recordings of uh, many of the performances of, of the music department that have been virtually shared by UW Parkside's uh, music department. Uh, over yes, the yes. Uh, uh, Melodious Mondays from the fall semester is, is the rubric that, uh, one rubric that I would suggest that people explore. Very good. Dr. James Kinchin, it was great to catch up with you once again. Best wishes for you in the upcoming holidays and in the new semester and the new year. Thank you, and the same to you, Greg. Always a pleasure.